Trust Asset Management's factor investing guru, Matt Perone, says using the tried and true factor approach is a better way to go. Next on Consuelo Mack Wealth Track. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. Professional investors are always looking for an edge, some strategy that will enable them to beat the market. Well, it turns out there has been one hiding in plain sight. It is called factor investing. It combines fundamental analysis, active management, and passive investing, and it's gaining in popularity. Now, the concept of factor investing has been around since the 1960s, when research showed that certain factors, those are certain characteristics of stocks, had a positive impact on their performance. Five of the most popular factors that have added alpha, or returns in excess of the market, to groups of stocks over the years will all sound familiar to you. They are size. Small company stocks that tend to grow faster than larger ones outperform the market over time. Value. Less expensive stocks should do better than more expensive ones. Thank Ben Graham, the father of value investing, for identifying this one really early on. Momentum. This is a more controversial one. Stocks whose prices are going up for several months tend to do better than stocks whose prices are flat or declining. Quality. High quality stocks with strong profitability, for instance, generate excess returns. Low volatility. Stocks that have lower risk or price volatility than the market have a history of outperforming the broader market. As they say on Wall Street, past performance is no guarantee of future results. But as you can see from this 30-year chart showing the performance of these five factors versus the market, they have beaten the market over the years, although there were multi-year periods when each did not. Another way of looking at it is with this bar chart showing the annualized returns of the five popular factors, plus an additional one using dividends as a factor versus the Russell 1000. And again, each has outperformed the market. This week's guest is an acknowledged expert on factor investing. He was an early adapter, as was his firm. He is Matthew Perone, head of global equity at Northern Trust Asset Management, where he manages the firm's multi-strategy approach using passive index funds, fundamental active management, and his own brand of factor investing, which it is trademarked as engineered equity. With more than 20 years experience with factor investing, the firm is one of the top 10 factor investors in the world measured by assets. Northern Trust runs several factor-based portfolios, including two four-star rated mutual funds, large cap core and small cap value, as well as two five-star rated ETFs using a combination of factors, flex shares quality dividend and flex shares quality dividend defensive. How does Perone decide which investment approach to use at any given time? I asked him. So our factor-based strategies are based on fundamental analysis. So they're very similar in a lot of ways. So, but we'll use fundamental analysis when there really is an edge to stock picking. So think emerging markets. You can, there's an informational edge to be had there. That's a good place uh, to use active, uh, let's say, in some non-US. Let's say uh, it, there are various regions, various capitalization where uh, stock selection makes sense. That said, there are the factors, if well-defined, can be very effective in, in many regions. And so that has broad applicability to um, investing. Mm -hmm. And actually, that's why we're seeing the most interest using factor-based investing right now across the broadest swath of uh, 
client requests and solutions. You started as a fundamental analyst and then you kind of came to the realization that it was the factors, it was things like the value and the quality and the momentum that really were driving the returns when they were successful in, uh, in active fundamental uh, investments. So the, the fundamental strategies that I was running, I realized over time, and I had a quant background, so I was uh, familiar with the, some of the tools and some of the different uh, quantitative techniques and, and literature. And I realized over time that the, the, the factors were really driving my portfolio. And so I was able to connect the two and realize that, hey, hang on a second, uh, there's something to this here. There's stock selection, but the factors are, are very important to portfolio returns. We looked at the academic literature, and it turns out that when you look across the, the, the swath of mutual funds and active managers, factors are driving 90 to 100 to 110% of excess returns. So factors are really what's been in use for, for decades, whether we know it or not. And really, most of the people using active managers are actually factor-based investors in the first place. So I think the light bulb that's gone on is, hey, let's separate this, and maybe there's a more efficient way to invest. The, the industry has taken a lot of criticism for, well, active isn't earning their fee, et cetera. Yes. This isn't one answer to that question. Okay, let's still, let's still, we still believe in excess returns, but let's get it in a more efficient, more cost-effective way. And factor-based investing is one way to do that. Explain then how it works. So if, if, when, I, when I think about in active managers, traditional active managers, they have different styles. So you, know, you buy a, a, value, you know, a value mutual fund, that's one style, or a growth. Let's take your example. Yes. A value manager is going to say, I'm going to look at the stocks and buy a value stocks. I'm going to buy a 30, 40, 50 value companies. I'm going to go one by one looking at them. Okay, is this company cheap? Is it, uh, look at the cash flow generation, they project it, et cetera, and build the portfolio one by one. A factor-based manager says, well, we're going to run a screen, have the computer take the analyst's thinking and program it into the computer and select a whole swath of stocks that meet that criteria as, as opposed to just building it one by one. So factor-based strategies are typically more diversified, mm -hmm. and their returns are going to be less dependent on stock-specific risk. And they're less dependent on stock-specific risk because... It really comes from the number of stocks. It takes a diversified, a well-constructed factor-based strategy. It takes a very diversified, large number of stocks mm -hmm. um, that meet those criteria. So you get a pure capturing of the factor, but if one stock misses earnings, uh, it, it doesn't affect the whole portfolio because they're all diversified. If, if you had a well-diversified, you know, value-oriented portfolio, wouldn't it do the same thing? You would, except you don't necessarily want that because in the value-based portfolio, you want, you're saying that these value stocks are better in average than the value, diversified value factor. These this group of stocks is going to beat their earnings or grow faster or somehow uh, be re-rated higher, their multiple will be re-rated higher. So uh, you want the stock-specific risk. You're, you've got, you're trying to access the skill of the manager who's selecting this small group of stocks that'll outperform the broad factor, if you will. Right. And there's value to that. It, you, you know, really would, if you can find a manager who can pick value stocks better than the diversified value factor, well, that's a good manager. 
not easy to do. Not easy to do. <laughs> Does fundamental analysis still have a role, a vital role in investing? I think it will, uh, Consuelo. I think that the idea of fundamental analysis will s still be a viable way to construct strategies for the foreseeable future. I think what has to happen is there's been structural overcapacity in the active market. And it's the dominant way that people are, are strategies that are implemented, even to this day, given the large flows we've seen into passive, mm -hmm. it's still the dominant uh, strategy active. So I think of the airline industry, there used to be too many seats, too much capacity, and now the airlines have rationalized that capacity by taking seats out uh, of the system. And mm -hmm. I think we'll have to see the same type of phenomenon in the, in the active market to rationalize the size of it um, and there, and then I think Active will have its its firm uh, position in the market. Therefore, the the Active and fundamental oriented money managers that are left standing, it's it going to be you know only the you know the survival of the fittest. They will be the ones that will once again prove their worth. That's right. Um, by being able to deliver outperformance on a more consistent basis. Well, not just outperformance on a more consistent basis, but outperformance. Uh, ahead of the factor strategy, right? Because they'll be not just benchmarked to the index, they'll be benchmarked to their factor index. Could I have uh, achieved the same outcome with a factor-based strategy? Active managers that'll be left will have to outperform their corresponding factor-based index. And I think increasingly that's how they'll be measured in, in the industry. Therefore, that's gonna be an even higher bar than the market. That's right. That's right. My understanding is that you have been brought in to, um, to help institutional investors who are using factor-based investing because they're not using it properly. You, you've been referred to as the fixer, as mm. a matter of fact, for institutional <laughs> portfolios. So what, how are factors being misused? We've seen quite a proliferation of factor-based investing of late. And as a result, some strategies are less well-constructed than other strategies. And so what I mean by that is they will uh, construct their screens, they will construct the portfolios in a way that gets uh, unintended risks. Um, smart beta has become somewhat of a catchphrase and there are all these strategies that have been launched under the idea of smart beta, right. which is reweighting the portfolio using alternative weighting schemes. And they're really what I can tell is simple screens basically, or simple sorts if you will, take the index and sort it by a different way. And that really in a way is not very robust way to create, to access the factor. So what you really want to do is construct a portfolio that's more directly captures the factor and the factor premium. And you, you have to typically use more sophisticated techniques than just sorting, usually an optimization technique or something like that, that will focus on the intended risk and as importantly, focus on all the unintended risks. So to give you an example, Please. a lot of these low volatility strategies were launched several years ago, and they would really be just a sword on the volatility of the underlying of the index, right? And so mm -hmm. let's and let's take the top, you know, or the, the the lowest volatility. So we sort them to the top, and those strategies tended to have large concentrations in one sector or two sectors, such as utilities, Uti right? Right. So the, the more defensive. When I think of low volatility, I think want to make my portfolio more defensive, therefore I'm going to buy stocks that are known, that are dividend paying, that are known for not being as, you know, as volatile as the market. That's so right. That's but that's not exactly uh, 
as diversified as you can be. You can actually source your low volatility, if you will, across different sectors and create a more robust uh, low volatility strategy. Um, you can also use different measures of volatility rather than just what the past volatility is. You can actually augment that with measures that will project that these companies will stay low volatility. Right? You could have a, a biotech company that has low volatility because it's waiting for its drug readout and then it goes up or down in a big way. So you want to basically find, um, uh, you want to have a more robust construction of the strategy, both at the signal level and the portfolio construction level. And how long are the track records at this point for a lot of these firms? I mean, how long has this been going on? Right. Well, I mean, that's, that's the, kind of an approach. That's the problem. There aren't that many providers been doing a lot of these. So these smart beta strategies that we see a lot of are generally fairly new. Yes. They haven't really been around the block. I don't think people realize that the, the, the construction of the portfolio isn't quite as robust. So really look for providers, again, that have had, you know, 10 plus years of experience in constructing these strategies um, and have track records, again, in the risk-adjusted space. I can't emphasize that enough. That's very important to look at the returns risk-adjusted. You mentioned that at, at Northern Trust Asset Management, you're using, you know, a vast array of strategies. And so you're using, you know, passive strategies, which are extremely popular now. Mm -hmm. And you've got products that are, mm -hmm. you've got mm -hmm. ETFs. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and you're also using, you know, fundamental analysis. You're using factor-based analysis. As an individual investor, I mean, you know, how do, when, when do I use each? I mean, is, is there a time or a type of portfolio when one is more appropriate than the other? How are you mixing all of these different strategies? Right. So we take a little different approach than the conventional wisdom mm -hmm. here. A lot of people will say, well, in the core of your portfolio, put an index fund, and then around it, put some active managers. Yes. And we think that that actually is um, a, a reasonable approach, but you can improve upon that approach. And so we advocate putting a factor-based strategy that's suited to your objectives in the core of your portfolio. And then around it, you can put either other factor-based strategies or active managers as you see fit. And you can and, work- And why is that? Why are, why are you making the, the factor-based investing the core of your portfolios? Because that's the largest part of your portfolio. Mm -hmm. And if you can earn excess return and be patient and stay with it, then, uh, which is very important in factor-based investing, so you have to stay the course. But if you can do that and take a long-term approach, you can actually earn the excess return. So why not put the biggest part of your portfolio to work for you to earn that excess return? Especially going forward, returns aren't going to be as easy as they were in the past 10 years. Now, you've said several times long-term, you've got to stick with the this you know, whatever strategy you choose, you've got to stick with it. That's right. These strategies are cyclical like everything else in the market is. And when we talk about sticking with it, what, what's the kind of the minimum amount of time that you should to really have it, you know, pay off? That'll vary from factor to factor. Mm -hmm. So um, a low volatility or a quality factor has shorter cycle lengths. It has shorter cycle yeah. lengths. So huh. because they'll, they'll, you know, we're talking about just a few years. Mm -hmm. Because because they are low volatility, they'll tend to stay in a range. Quality will tend to stay in a range. Whereas value or small cap, uh, those go in larger cycles. So you get extra, ex, excess return from those, but you have to hold them over long periods of time. We're talking 7, 10 12, 15 years. And so is it like from peak to trough in a market cycle? Is that like kind That's of the minimum it. that you should be holding them? That's right. Well, these will have their own cycles. Right. And you have to be prepared 
to, you know, ride those cycles, peak right. the trough. As far as the, your, the, fund, the use of fundamental analysis and, you know, active managers... When is that appropriate? Typically, you want to use an, uh, an active manager where you see an informational edge at the stock-specific level, right? That's really when a bottoms-up portfolio manager can select stocks that's better than a broad factor-based approach. Mm-hmm. Can you name some? Where- well, commonly, people refer to you know, emerging markets as mm-hmm. a place where you can do that in certain small cap er- uh, uh, areas. You can do that. What about fixed income? What's the... Oh. deal with fixed income and, and using factors in fixed income? That's a great question. There are a lot, a lot of people looking at that problem. We've launched fixed income factor portfolios ourselves. It's a new concept in fixed income market, but I think that that will, like in equities, gain traction. And certainly there seems to be uh, a ripe opportunity to disrupt, if you will, the fixed income markets, given the construction of their benchmarks, uh, to, to add, re- add value. When is it appropriate to use a passive index fund approach? Well, some people just don't believe that there are excess returns to be had. And it's really, you know, comes down to if you, or they don't want to take the risk for it. They just say, you know, I just, I'm happy with the index. I want a very low cost solution. All I'm looking for out of the market, that's for them. If Mm -hmm. you can take a little bit more risk, but not all the way to full active, then a a factor-based solution is that middle ground. Would you vehemently disagree with them that they, they can't get a, a better investment outcome if they go with factor-based? I mean, is it, is it something that you'd kind of go to the mat for, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Consuelo, uh, we, uh, I would say that in the short run, anything can happen. Uh-huh. So if you have a short time horizon or you have a behavioral disposition that you, know, you just can't take the risk and that you're prone to churn, then stay with the index fund. So I wouldn't disagree for certain people it's the right thing. But if you can take a little bit more risk and you can really ride out the cycles, uh, I I think over a long period of time, I would argue that the the factor-based approach is is superior. And and at Northern Trust Asset Management, you call it um, engineered equity, right? That's right. And that you can, you actually believe that you can engineer outcomes. And again, whenever we hear somebody saying that, you know, I can engineer an investment outcome, you know, immediately, I think, really? So really, we're talking about the construction of the strategy, that it really takes an engineering approach mm-hmm. to uh, looking at uh, portfolio construction. And so what we do, first and foremost, is apply uh, the best techniques we can source. So we use optimization techniques. Uh, we use... Um, different algorithms, different Mm -hmm. signals, and to try and engineer the most most robustly constructed strategy we can. For an individual, I mean, or for an institution's particular investment goal. That's right. Right. That's right. And in terms of engineering their outcomes, that is a little bit more, we don't make any promises, of course, the market is, but what we're, (laughs) the the market is complex and adaptive, I was going to say. But what we will say is that you can put these factors to work. And if you align them in a way that's suited to your goals, you have an increased probability of hitting your objectives. And so that's where the engineering term is a little bit more aspirational in that context. Are the the vast majority of Northern Trust Asset Management clients now going to have a core in factor-based investing? We're seeing a lot of our larger clients 
we're talking about large institutions now, are moving towards factor-based investing in their core. And the reason for that is really because they can't hire enough active managers, let alone enough active managers that have outperformed. So, but they believe that there are excess returns to be had in the market. They want to capture them. They need to, to hit their, if you're a large pension plan, to hit their return targets, et cetera. So they need to capture and, and uh, returns, but they need to do efficiently. So if you're a $100 billion pension plan, you can't deploy enough money to active managers to really capture Mm-hmm. that you'll just get an expensive index fund. But instead, you can deploy efficiently a large factor program. And so that uh, is what we see more and more of in the market, the large institutions really moving towards a factor-based core. Are these becoming very expensive? Are they crowded trades? Is it possible as these become more popular that essentially that the, you know, that the outcome in performance that you've expected is going to diminish over time as more money pours into these strategies? Is that a risk? Yeah. So from time to time, people will push these strategies because they'll be popular for the, for the time being. And so from time to time, you'll see them pushed out of their historical bounds in terms of um, you know, where they typically trade. Right. And we'll monitor that. And uh, now, are there any of the, the factors that are Nothing is overvalued. too horrible. A mm-hmm. couple of years ago, low volatility was getting a little mm-hmm. uh, heated. I would say, if anything, now you know value has been on the cheap side. It's actually been so unloved. Mm-hmm. So we've been counseling uh, people who are underweight value to make sure you have a full weighting there because uh, at some point that will come back, and you, you certainly want to participate in that. We're seeing that a little bit as we speak. But um, so you, you can see uh, these factors getting pushed in the short term, and then it usually typically reverts. But I think in the essence of your question is, will factors become so dominant that they'll, that they'll go away? And so we're, right. I'll make a couple of points on that. One is that active managers typically are using these factors, right? So in some sense, the net flow can kind of cancel out because you're selling value stocks to buy a value factor. Well, you're going to, in, in some sense, so it kind of washes out in that way. And just to size it, I mean, there's over $10 trillion in active, and I think there's the latest read is a few hundred billion of, of, of these smart beta or factor strategies. Oh, so a long way to go. There's a long way to go before we have to worry about that uh, too much. One investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, Matt, what would you have all of us own some of in a diversified portfolio? Sure. Well, I would say that if you're younger, you should access some of these risk premiums such as value and size, these longer-term risk premiums that earn superior returns over a long period of time. And, but the promise is you have to hold them. So that, that, that my advice is conditional upon you holding it through the whole cycle because we've seen people sell at the bottom and, and buy them at the top. So buy small cap and value and hold them if you're younger. And as you're more uh, progressed to retirement, a lower volatility strategy or a quality dividend strategy might be more appropriate. And if you're older, does the long term still apply in the low volatility or the dividend quality strategy? Your cycles tend to be more muted and more attenuated than they are in some of those those longer cycle factors like small cap and value. So, Matt Perron, thank you so much for explaining this, what to me is a very esoteric topic to us on WealthTrack. Happy to do it. Thanks for joining us on WealthTrack again, Matt. Happy to do it. Thank you, Consuelo.
At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is consider using multiple investment approaches. Depending upon the client, Perone is using a combination of active, passive, fundamental, and quantitative strategies. You and your financial advisor should consider them all too. No one strategy works perfectly all of the time. Some work better in different asset classes and markets than others. Costs matter too. A diverse mix that won't move in lockstep and will balance each other off is probably the best way to go. Well, next week we have a rare and exclusive treat. Great investor Dennis Stotman, the longtime manager of BlackRock's Global Allocation Fund, will join us. He just retired and will share his investment lessons with us. To see this program again, other WealthTrack interviews, and more of our conversation with Matt Perone, please go to our website, WealthTrack.com. Also, feel free to reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for watching. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.